When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What I like about acting is I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing, and it's quite fun. Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Nadira Goff, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. And welcome back to the show, Nadira! Glad to be back. I'm always thrilled to have you on the show, but I'm especially excited you're here for today's episode. But before we get into the meat of the discussion, I need to ask you what might be the most important question I've ever asked you. Okay, hit me. All right, I think of you as a boy band expert, a connoisseur, if you will. So I think this question is perfect for you. If you had to make a boy band out of any three to four current male recording vocal artists. Think like the man version of Boy Genius, which is Lucy Dacus, Mm -hmm. Phoebe Bridges, and Julian Baker. Mm -hmm. Who would these men be and what genre would they be performing in? Oh, okay. So this is difficult. (laughs) I mean, I feel like the true answer is why I asked this question when the Jonas Brothers still exist. And then I feel like the counter to that... (laughs) is the answer is probably actually Silk Sonic. But to be a trooper and to actually answer the question, (laughs) I think I'm going to go with a nice quad. So I'm thinking Troy Sivan, Khalid. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Omar Apollo. Okay. And then because you always need to have a rapper, Lil Nas X. Now, as for genre, I feel like it would be genre bending, if you will. Okay. (laughs) Defying? Right. Genre defying. But I feel like they truly could gel well together, you know? They could make a bop, a bop or two. I think they'd make a few bangers. I'm I'm into this. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Just call me I'm Simon. Already picturing the outfits. I'm picturing the stage presence. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, whatever recording artist is listening to this show who has the clout to pull these four together, they need to start working on that like expeditiously. And this is actually a perfect segue into today's topic, which is none other than boy bands, or at least a former member of one boy band. Today, we are bringing back not only Nadira, but a segment we first test drove in April, where we do a deep dive into a specific celebrity's internet history. Our first object of analysis was none other than Leah Michelle, because what? We constantly have our fingers on the pulse of discourse. Period. Does this mean we've come up with a decent name for this segment? No. (laughs) (laughs) Though, one listener at the handle of at RevSpaceMa suggested the Hollywood Hills have eyes, which I kind of love. It's giving. It is giving. So so we're going with that. We're going with that. (laughs) So we've brought Indira back today, not just because I'm obsessed with her, but because she is a scholar of today's subject, which is none other than Harry Edward Styles. Oh, well, first, can I just say I'm obsessed with you, too? (laughs) 
But also, yes, yes to the whole government name, though I still refer to him as Harold when I'm being sassy, (laughs) even though I know his government name is actually Harry. But you know. Mr. Harold has recently dominated headlines for his part in the Don't Worry Darling drama that has taken over the internet. But honestly, I feel like being at the center of a social media firestorm is pretty much just a regular, regular day for Harry. Mm-hmm. Ever since he stepped onto the world stage all the way back in 2010, <sighs> Oof. Harry's career has been inextricably linked with social media and the ways that his fans use it. After a short break, we're going to break down his career highlights, or lowlights, depending on how you feel about Larry Stylinson. The constant speculation over his sexuality, allegations of queerbaiting, and yes, we'll be explaining what exactly went down with Olivia Wilde and Miss Flo. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7, U.S.-based, live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And we're back. Here's where I admit that though I consider myself a style stan, I was a Zane girly during the One Direction days, meaning my Ugh. Harry scholarship didn't really begin until late into the 1D era. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, Rachel, you're going to have to help me out. What exactly was going on there? Okay, first I have to say that that sound was one of excitement because that being a Zane girly means you have taste. Okay, good. Ooh, absolutely. I know I'm safe taste. over here. No, Zane during the One D era was elite. Like, Thank my you. God. Thank you. I feel so affirmed. <laughs> no, you are you are so welcome here. <laughs> okay, so my One D fandom began around 2013, so I'm also not like deep in it. I was not there in 2010. I missed a lot of the Take Me Home era. Mm-hmm. I joined when they were starting to develop from I would say children into young adults. They were all teenagers when they started, but this was around the era. 2013 was around the era when they were adding, you know, some sexual references into their songs. They were all getting Mm -hmm. tattoos. A lot of them were really bad. (laughs) But the thing about fandom is that no matter what time you join, somehow the starting mythology always gets passed down. Like, Truly, you can join in 2017 and you'll see people reference Liam being afraid of spoons or like Louie loving carrots. And it's just you you see it and you're like, I must investigate. All this to say, even though I'm a late joiner as well, I got you. So picture this. It's a cold winter's night, halcyon days of 2010. I actually don't know what, I don't know if it was winter. It's always <laughs> winter in the UK. As is lore at this point, One Direction was created in the lab of X Factor by evil genius Simon Cowell. Picture the Dexter's Lab theme song playing, and the rest is basically history. Except, significantly for this telling of the history, it's important to know that One Direction lost the X Factor. But through the sheer power of internet fandom and teen girls, they won the world. And I'm not just saying that as like a hyperbolic bitch. I'm saying that because this is in fact a common saying (laughs) in the early 1D fandom. They lost X Factor but won the world. Like no one actually knows who won X Factor in 2010 because they were quickly overshadowed by One Direction. 
I mean, I just feel like if you weren't One Direction or Cher Lloyd, in the words of Kiki Palmer, I'm <laughs> sorry to this man, but... Truly! <laughs> I feel so bad for whoever that winner was because, goddamn... <laughs> A lot of this history is in Caitlin Tiffany's new book, Everything I Need, I Get From You, which we've discussed on an earlier episode. But basically, it's good enough to say that One Direction and Harry's career was bound up with social media from the very beginning. I'm going to read a quote that I think is actually like really important to understand the relationship that Harold has with the internet and his fandom. From the beginning, fans' efforts hinged on direct participation from the stars they were centered on, which the One Direction boys provided in the form of intimacies, inside jokes, and a regular online conversation. They spent so much time talking to their fans in blurry behind-the-scenes live streams and casual crackling Twitter threads that some fans were genuinely shocked when they were unwelcome at Niall Horan's nephew's baptism. So that is quite literally unhinged. (laughs) (laughs) So from an early age, I think Harry really begins to both understand and deeply internalize the importance of providing fans with like just enough for them to project onto, like for them to hoard as little markers and signs of their intimacies, things that things that they can put on a sign at a concert that maybe 300 people will get and Harry. Mm. He learns how to turn the fact that he's constantly being watched and has no privacy into a joke that he's in on, which a lot of stars are actually kind of bad at, which is fair. I would be bad at turning an invasion of my privacy into a joke. I'd just be mad. I mean, who among us? Exactly. So in 2014, I think is a good incident that sums this up. He liked the porn tweet, which is a mistake that I think a lot of people have made, but... At this point, his official account had only liked 10 tweets total. So my guess for what happened is that he has a private Twitter account and forgotten to switch, which have I accidentally tweeted from the ICYMI account? (laughs) Yes. So the caption for the tweet is, retweet if you lick me clean. And the image is exactly what it sounds like. I just, (laughs) Harry, Harold, he is so unserious. Like, I can't get over it. And so, because his fans are his fans, the hashtag Harry don't lick anything then trends on Twitter. (laughs) And so the next day, Harry tweets, so, the weather... Mm. Which is this, like, beautiful tongue-in-cheek reaction to what is essentially a surveillance state, a panopticon. <laughs> I mean, it's also very British to bring up the weather yeah. after <laughs> after a social faux pas, if you will. Mm-hmm. But this surveillance reminds me of the sort of fan-recounted record of Harry as told Mm -hmm. through random fandom sightings, here dubbed RFS, that have become Mm -hmm. a part of the mythos around him. So there's the time he vomited on the side of an L.A. highway and it became a shrine. There's the time his car broke down in Australia and a fan's dad helped him out and he left a note for her, the fan. Or more recently, there's the time he helped watch someone's dog in Hollywood as they made a quick stop into a restaurant to pick up their takeout. Like, Harry Styles is deeply unserious, but I also think he's kind of a genius in terms of managing to spin the most ordinary or even the most negative thing into a part of this, like, cheeky persona that he has. 
But I will say, despite his talent, there's one thing I think he hasn't managed to escape the shadow of. During the One Direction era, he learned yet another important lesson. One I think we both agree is important to understanding how he operates today. Nandira, what do you know about Larry Silenson? So all I know is that it's the name of the fandom, read, fictional ship of Harry Mm -hmm. and other 1D member Louis Tomlinson, but that's about it. I love that for you. I'm going to be completely honest. Um, Yeah, so it also refers to the conspiracy theory that the two have been in a decades-long relationship that has been kept secret because of, like, the Illuminati or the Queen or something. (laughs) Rest in peace. Um... (laughs) (laughs) on the surface it's just another instance of like people shipping celebrities which they do i do and it's to be expected from the fan of a boy band i did it (laughs) but there's like this deeply unhinged section of the fandom that basically harasses any woman that's seen with either harry or louis and this section of the fandom also thinks that Louis's child is a paid actor and or doll? Uh, uh, oh, no. <laughs> so, Caitlin Tiffany wrote in her book, Larry Shippers usually claim to be progressive feminists and insists that even their most personal criticisms of the women at the center of their theories is not misogynistic. They counter that it would be misogynistic not to call these women out on their many misdeeds. So, misdeeds? Misdeeds <laughs> include... <laughs> Like what? Simply being <laughs> named in a song that Harry wrote? Um, or being a baby. Uh, a literal baby. <laughs> okay. An infant. <laughs> like, Larry Shippers read into everything. Like, old tweets, matching outfits that are coincidence or not. Silence. <laughs> Truly everything was in service of confirming the theory that Harry and Louis' love for each other was being stifled by capital M management. I would like to say that, like, this is kind of a controversial opinion within the fanfic community. I don't have anything against RPF, or real person fiction, which is what Larry Stylinson as a fictional narrative falls under. Write your fanfic, make your art, whatever. Celebrities are people, it's true, but they're also objects created by marketing teams for us to project onto. However, the issue with Larry conspiracy theorists started when Harry and Louis became aware of the ship, or more accurately, when fans forced the two to become Mm. aware of the ship. Again, I'm going to quote from Caitlin Tiffany. They, as in Harry and Louis, laughed it off for some time but eventually stopped appearing alone together on camera or in the corner of a stage. After the band went on, quote, hiatus, they were seen in the same place in public only once, shortly after Tomlinson's mother died. Like, it is fundamentally fucked up that these two, who were objectively close, you could see that they were friends, mm-hmm. can't be seen in public together because of how rabid their fan base is and how much they read into, like, the minor things. Unhinged! <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, it's super sad, especially considering how much those boys all needed to lean on each other to deal with the sudden onslaught of fame. And I think that this likely informs how Harry approaches public relationships a lot, even now. Definitely. And after a short break, we're going to get into all of that, how the Larry Stylinson conspiracy theory affects how Harry is currently responding to the Don't Worry Darling controversy and how it has, let's say, informed the allegations of queer baiting. 
Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, y'all. If you love our podcast, then please consider subscribing to Slate Plus. When you subscribe to Slate Plus, you get no ads on any Slate podcast, including this one. You will also be supporting the show. ICYMI would not be possible without the support of Slate Plus subscribers. You will also get bonus segments or episodes on shows like Slow Burn, Hang Up and Listen, and Big Moon Little Mood, and... You'll also get unlimited reading on the Slate website, which means you get access to every single article and advice column on Slate without ever hitting the paywall. It's a pretty fucking good deal. Just visit slate.com slash plus to sign up. That is slate.com slash plus. And we're back. We mentioned Caitlin Tiffany's book about One Direction stands a few times before the break. And something that it's really made me think of is this kind of double bind that both Harry fans and Harry himself are in. We both know the things that teen girls are into are like universally maligned. From Twilight to the Beatles, it's a pretty safe bet that if the audience is predominantly young and female, someone a man is going to shit on it. But there's this new kind of feminism. I don't know what wave we're on, so I can't really, I don't know where we're at. I'm going to say six-way feminism that swings wildly in the opposite direction, basically suggesting that if women like it, then it's feminist. So because women like Harry Styles, he's a feminist icon. And obviously, if you are Harry, you can't just sit there and be like, no, I'm not, because that's kind of a swift route <laughs> to cancellation. And the thing is, Harry has actually traditionally been really smart about making sure he doesn't dismiss his fans. Or when he went on his solo career, he never made it seem like he was looking for a, quote, better, smarter, a.k.a. male fan base. But what it means now is that Harry is being held up as this progressive icon for doing shit that other people have been doing forever. And unfortunately, I must say, I think it's going to his pretty little head. Specifically, in a 2017 Rolling Stone interview that I vividly remember going viral, (laughs) Harry tried to champion teen girl fandoms, going so far as to say that teenage girl fans are our future and, quote, they don't lie. If they like you, they're there. They don't act too cool. They like you and they tell you, which is sick. End quote. <laughs> but, Sick. <laughs> but, like you mentioned, this pedestal that was foisted upon him for basically speaking common sense <laughs> has made him the paragon of political correctness, which not only makes it more difficult for him to not step a toe out of line, but also makes him simultaneously unproblematic and problematic, as this pedestal actively plays into the erasure of groundbreaking artists and activists before him, and him coming off as cringe. 
Unfortunately, I do think coming off as cringe is the biggest sin there. That's my own personal hang up. I will say I remember that interview coming out because the way the girlies ate it up, my God, I saw that quote everywhere. And by the girlies, I mean me. I'm attacking myself. I'm so sorry. I mean, you're actually attacking both of us, but we need not get into it. (laughs) I saw that. I was like, Harry is so smart. He knows the teenage girls are the smartest people in the world. And now I'm like, oh. Yeah, sounds familiar. But speaking of cringe... A great current example is of Harry's now girlfriend, Olivia Wilde, who in a recent Vanity Fair interview said the following. While she was at a Harry Styles concert, she, quote, instantly started crying. Where else do we see this? Happy women, women brought together with joy, loving each other and cheering for each other. This has been like a gift to be amongst this, end quote, which almost asserts that the only place that girls can be happy is at Harry Styles concerts? I mean, (laughs) he can't really win, but he's also too rich for me to really weep on his behalf, per se. So when Mm -hmm. he does step a toe out of line or when this progressive icon stuff really gets to his head, it's usually just messy fun. That is true. It rarely ever feels high stakes, except for when someone's crowning him the king of pop and we all have to collectively sigh and be like, please stop. Mm. No one asked for this, including Harry. I do think this brings us to the don't worry darling of it all. And darling, I'm pretty fucking worried. There's a lot going on here. Speaking of, I've broken my brain from rehashing Larry Stylinson, so I'm going to let you handle this (laughs) recent turn in the story, Nadira. Not least because I realized recently I keep forgetting key elements of it. Like, I forgot Olivia Wilde was served divorce papers on stage. What's happening? (laughs) Well... Don't worry, darling, said literally no one in that cast, apparently, (laughs) ever. So the quick rundown on the drama begins when Harry was cast in the film as a replacement for Shia LaBeouf, who at the time was said to have been fired by director Olivia Wilde following domestic abuse allegations launched by Shia's former partner. To be clear, the official reason was something along the lines of different working styles, but the timing of it all spoke volumes, whether Mm -hmm. it was the intention or not. But then Shia recently came forward and said he wasn't fired. He actually quit. And in his coming forward, a video was leaked of Olivia Wilde asking Shia to stay and, in my opinion, patronizingly calling co-star Florence Pugh, quote, Miss Flo, making it seem like the issue was all on Florence. Drama. Total drama. Shia, Shia. I just went riding my horse. Very sweaty, but I wanted to reach out because... I feel like I'm not ready to give up on this yet and I too am heartbroken and I want to figure this out and you know I think this might be a bit of a wake-up call for Miss Flo and I want to know if you're open to giving I must say my favorite part of this video is that she says she just got off her horse like the video is taken like selfie style so you just see her face and She looks like, you know, a bit sweaty, as she says at the beginning. It's taken in her car. I think she's driving, which can we all stop filming videos while we're driving? But I can't get over the horse of it all. Like, what? (laughs) Why is she on a horse? 
Listen, it is horse girl season after all. Beyonce would agree. (laughs) But beyond this video, simultaneously during the shooting of the film, Harry developed a romance with now girlfriend Olivia Wilde, which it is rumored also rubbed Florence the wrong way because of her friendship with Olivia's ex, Jason Sudeikis, who, as you mentioned, served custody papers. They actually were never married while Olivia was on stage promoting the film at CinemaCon. Told you I wasn't paying attention. I was just like, I ah, papers being served. <laughs> right, exactly. Paper, paper. <laughs> paper. Now, the timeline of when Harry and Olivia got together is murky, but Olivia claims that she definitely did not cheat on Jason with Harry. And I honestly doubt that Florence cares about that part as much as the misflow of it all, but it's mm-hmm. an important part of the way the narrative played out online. Then all Mayhem ensued with rumors and speculation flying, leaving all eyes on the Venice Film Festival. And boy, did it deliver. She delivered. <laughs> Listen, Venezia, Venezia, she's going to do what she's going to do. Italia but, was like, I'm giving drama. <laughs> I mean, as always. But before I rattle off examples of how the Venice Film Festival absolutely served what it was supposed to have served, (laughs) it's also worth noting that around the same time that this press was ramping up, press for Harry's other film, My Policeman, in which he plays a closeted police officer in 1950s England, was also going on. And after an interview about that film was released, Harry came under fire on the internet for saying some sort of reductionist things about the way gay sex is depicted in film overall. Once again... I must say, all this progressive icon shit, all this clapping for waving a pride flag is going to his pretty little head. As Kendrick Lamar once wisely said, sit down, be humble. Sage, sage advice. Okay, so back to Don't Worry Darling. Their track record at the Venice Film Festival also included Olivia saying Florence was missing a press event due to scheduling conflicts while Florence was seen strutting unbothered in a purple Valentino matching set, which was iconic. Uh, it looked iconic. so good. It looked so good. Whilst sipping an Aperol spritz, I must say. Uh. <laughs> it also included the most awkward cast seating arrangement alive during the actual <laughs> premiere of the film. And then it also included Florence's beauty team wearing Miss Flo t-shirts and it also included Harry kissing <laughs> Nick Kroll in the mouth, but truly, the crown jewel of it all was Spitgate. Ah, uh, Spitgate. What a moment in time. It feels like two years ago, and it was last week, I think, the Queen really rewrote history in my brain. We'll explain that in a moment, that being Spitgate. But I must say that this entire press tour Harry has been on he is really putting the girlies through it. They are down bad because what in the name of interview footage is happening in this video of Harry explaining what he likes about the movie Don't Worry Darling. You know, my favorite thing about the movie is like it feels like a like a movie. It feels like a real like, you know, go to the theater film movie that, you know, you, you kind of the reason why you go. To watch something on the it goes screen. on for so much long. Every single time I watch it, I forget how long it goes on. It's so long. I mean, and Chris I don't Pine know. is just actual projecting. Next I just, <laughs> I just.
just don't know how I could forget my absolute <laughs> favorite video of the entire Venice Film Festival. Not only, as you noted, did co-star Chris Pine look like he wanted to literally dissociate from existence while Harry was saying this, but it also became a meme across all of Twitter, including all of the company Twitter accounts, you know? Mm-hmm. Truly, when Taco Bell is making fun of you on Twitter, you know you really done goofed. But the meme of Chris Pine that this birth is perhaps even better than any other part of it. Back to Spitgate, Nadira, what is Spitgate? So, Spitgate refers to a video of Harry and Chris Pine at the Venice premiere of the film that went absolutely viral. While they're introducing the cast to come on stage, Harry goes to sit next to Chris Pine, and as he does, it seems as though he spits right on Chris Pine's Mm. lap, who looks down with a sort of expression of disbelief. Some people said they couldn't even see the spit. Some said it was obvious and it had to have been real. It truly became the iconic The Dress of our time. It was so low stakes but also so dramatic i this is my favorite kind of internet concert i love spitgate i love it (laughs) i'm inclined to agree with you but not to lead us out of conspiracy corner as swiftly as we entered we did just spend a good amount of time explaining how and why harry maintains such a meticulously perfect public image so let me Mm. just say this Of course, Harry did not spit on Chris Pine. Both of them denied it. All is right in the world. I don't know exactly what was going on in that video, but it's definitely not what it looks like. I mean, yes, as we mentioned before the break, he's also a master of turning this kind of publicity, which could like destroy some people into a funny little joke. He's currently doing a Madison Square Garden residency. And the first concert post Spitgate, he opened with, I just popped over to Venice to spit on Chris Pine, but fear not, we're back. I love him. Well, you're not alone. (laughs) (laughs) I actually attended his concert at Madison Square Garden this past Saturday. I don't know that I necessarily screamed like that, but I was in attendance. (laughs) Um, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. (laughs) Okay, you might be right. You might be right. Were you there too? I think you're trying to make me seem like the the wild one here. I know you yelled. (laughs) Well, regardless, there was nary a straight leg pant, an unringed hand, (laughs) or an unfeathered boa in sight. (laughs) Bitch. (laughs) But to me, what's most fascinating about all of this is the trajectory of him being closed off from the public because of the heavy Larry and general teen pop star scrutiny from earlier and how that has led to him being less than forthcoming about his personal life now. And when he's not generating news in that way, of course, the Internet will generate news for him, hence Spitgate. And all of this, him being overly surveilled for allegedly being in a queer relationship with a close friend, to his lack of stating his partners or sexuality, to the claims of him queerbaiting, all of this makes up the Harry we know today, who is extremely choosy and opportunistic about his public moments. Harry is such a fascinating object of consumption because he's really just been kind of tossed back and forth between these different moments in the pop cultural zeitgeist. And he or at least his persona and the way he's perceived operates mostly in the extremes. Like one second, he's a sign of cultural decay because of his teeny bopper One Direction music. Then the next, he's a feminist icon because he loves Lizzo. Who the fuck doesn't love Lizzo? (laughs) Idiots. That's who. And the next, he's the king of pop, which... Stop. Stop saying that. Please stop. And then the next, he's um, a averagely talented actor coasting on the talent of his extremely talented co-stars like Florence Pugh. 
I think one thing we both mentioned is at this point, it's kind of hard to separate Harry as a persona and as someone who's driving this kind of like fervor from the work that the fandom is doing on his behalf. Like how much of his overhype, his overstepping of his progressive icon boundaries is really just people reading into the evangelical zeal that his fans have for him. It's beyond me, the amount of people who said that he was brave for wearing a dress on the cover of Vogue in 2020. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those people could easily have been the same people who bullied Jaden Smith for wearing a skirt in 2016 or wouldn't know that that same year, hip-hop artist Young Thug wore a dress on the cover for his album, Jeffrey. But I digress. Mm-hmm. I think it's safe to say that with deep, well, worship, honestly, also comes the tunnel vision of overstating just how influential your fave truly is. Harry is great, and I love him dearly, clearly. But his persona as it is doesn't exist in a vacuum. There were other artists tapping into a more feminine presentation after Mm -hmm. Prince besides Harry. Mm-hmm. And there are also other artists who foregrounded messages of LGBT rights, Black Lives Matter, and other movements before Harry started holding up those flags at his concerts. I think the overzealousness of the fans, unfortunately for him, plays a lot into it. It's kind of this feedback loop, right? Like, at the beginning, as he started presenting more feminine as he started doing these kind Mm. of like trappings of like femme identity wearing dresses and whatever he actually wasn't publicly commenting on a lot of it he was just doing it right and then people were commenting on it and now it's like that commenting on it has reached back to him and now he's worse Mm. (laughs) it's like just this in this feedback loop where you can't tell what is the chicken or the egg, but you can tell that it's getting into an area that you don't particularly like. Some some might say mm-hmm. it's an Ouroboros. I should have seen that coming a lot sooner than I did. All right, that is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Saturday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode, to never miss a deep dive into a celebrity's internet history. If you have a better name for this segment than the one we come up with, DM us. Also, please leave a five-star rating and review an Apple or Spotify. Tell your friends about us. And you can also follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is where you can DM us your questions like, what the fuck was happening at Venice Film Festival? And you can always drop us a note at icymi at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader and Rachel Hampton. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer. And Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. See you online. Or in Venice. We're on fourth wave feminism? Ooh, we're a few waves behind where I thought we were. <laughs> <laughs> Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. 
Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.